Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring our neuropsychologist, Dr. Laura Janssens, Dr. Skip Wren, and neurofeedback legend, Jay Gunkelman. This is an all-star cast that are more than happy to share their knowledge with you. You can find Dr. Laura Janssens.com. Dr. Skip can be found at Dr. Skip Rin.com and Jay Gunkelman. Well, there's only one Jay Gunkelman. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out. If they can't hear us, we can't help them. My name is Pete, and today we're going to talk about tennis player Naomi Osaka's mental health and concerns about what she's going through with the, the press conferences. She doesn't want to do them. We tried mixing a, a guest in last week as well as a visual presentation. Not sure how well that worked out, so we want to set the expectations for this show and going forward. And and what's going to drive this bus is the listener comments. I think we're going to do the first half of the show or, or a good majority of it with audio and then for the people that want to see the uh, EEGs, uh, we're going to transfer over to our YouTube show. So if you want to see it visually, and we're going to see how that works. We do have people that listen and watch us on, on YouTube, but we'll see how that goes. Apology uh, to our last week's guest, uh, Sarah Young. Uh, we had a clunky show, hand up, I'll take responsibility. Sarah, if you want to come back on and try, try it again, uh, hopefully we get a better internet connection and then we get a... a you know, better structure of the show. You know, we're, we're flying this thing at 30,000 feet and building an airplane. There, there, there will be issues. Naomi Osaka, she doesn't want to talk to the press. Is that a, a peak performance thing where they don't want to hear anything negative or is it an insecurity thing? Like we've had a few other athletes out there. Uh, Marshawn Lynch was a running back for the uh, Seattle Seahawks. He didn't want to talk to the press. You know, is it a stage fright thing? I'm, I'm open to anybody's interpretation of what's going on here. I think it's uh, relevant to anybody, please. Jay, do you mind repeating what you said earlier about the spindles? And we had your, your protege <laughs> on a while ago that was talking about, you know, working with um, elite athletes and you know, yeah. sleep issues. But could you repeat that? That was really interesting. Sure, sure. You know, first of all, this is not going to be talking about a high school, just a regular high school at- athlete or a college athlete. We're talking about elite athletes, uh, world-class com- competitive athletes competing at a very high level. I, I worked for the Australian Institute for Sports and uh, with hundreds of people uh, looked at. And what we basically see is an excess of beta spindles in the EEG. That's their drive. They're very, very driven. Um, and they don't want to lose their drive, but they have to manage their drive. It commonly results in an insomnia, but also quite often in an agitated depression or anxiety uh, or mood regulation problem. And as such, uh, uh, you, you basically end up having uh, uh, difficulties unless you learn how to control or counteract the beta spindling. Again, it's not something you want to lose, but they have to be able to counterbalance it uh, so that they can sleep. If you don't sleep, you don't recover from the wear and tear of the day. Uh, if you don't work, recover, you, you basically can't compete at an elite level. Uh, they're, they're very finely tuned instruments and a little high strung. Um, now, you could probably foresee some of her current difficulties in 2018 uh, when she won and was apologetic for winning and was quite emotional. Uh, and since then, it, you, you can see she's very introverted and, and admits that she's very introverted. 
um, and experiences a depression ever since she won in 2018. You know, she, she beat somebody who she held up as, as, as a role model that, that kind of crumbled uh, her, her emotion in some fashion, uh, perhaps realizing that she's also going to end up in the same situation at some point. But uh, elite athletes end up having difficulty with mood and mood regulation. Uh, uh, there's a, a, a study on elite athletes uh, that looked at uh, attrition and uh, 19% of the elite athletes end up having alcohol problems. So you can use that as a benchmark of, you know, if you've got a difficulty, you know, alcohol problems, maybe uh, one of it, but 34% ended up having, having attrition due to anxiety uh, or uh, depression. So their mood regulation ended up being the reason that they had attrition. Uh, they looked at in 2016, and uh, 30% of the females had uh, complaints of mood regulation difficulties, and 18% of the males. NIH in 2019 found that that was much lower in team sports because you've got teammates to, you know, a support network and it dropped down to only 8%. So 30% in uh, females, but only 8% in team sports related. Uh, Interestingly, the Journal of American Medical Association found that um, there's ways to assist with depression by sleep restriction. They suggest getting up one hour earlier. Now, this is a 800 and 40,000 people in the study, uh, MIT, Harvard, University of Colorado, Boulder. um, But there's a 23% decrease in depression by restricting sleep. This was also something that was discussed recently by Martijn Arns uh, in the Netherlands in in his coursework. What I would uh, suggest is is that uh, we also see a study from British Journal of uh, Sports Medicine on elite athletes. But um, like a lot of studies, this is only studies for males. Uh, there, there were no female elite athletes in this study. So uh, research bias uh, ends up uh, being seen in uh, sports medicine as well. Uh, 5% of the athletes had an attrition due to burnout, 45% uh, due to um, depression and anxiety. It, it's not an uncommon finding. Her complaint of uh, depression, anxiety negatively impacting her uh, is common in sports. Again, about a third uh, to maybe as, as, as high as 40 plus percent of them end up having some difficulty with mood regulation. So it mirrors the general public as well. It's not uncommon for people to have mood regulation problems. Uh, but, you know, for her being an introvert and uh, anxiety, depressed, agitated, depressed, uh, uh, her experience in press conferences gives her like a, a, a performance anxiety as well. So uh, it, it pushed all of her buttons. But I think part of the problem here is the response to her. In 2018, uh, when she was apologetic, uh, Serena Williams was uh, giving her a big hug and, and saying, you have nothing to be apologetic about. She notified the French Open that she wouldn't be doing the interviews ahead of time and was going to accept the fines. 
they're essentially seeing a threat to their sport. They conspired with the other open tournaments and threatened her career. What kind of a response is that? I, I, I think that the compassionate response from Serena Williams is the appropriate response. And quite honestly, she has a, a, an ADA qualified disability and they threatened her career because of it. It, it. They have liability. I don't think that she's that, you know, she's not a litigious type person, but their move was a stupid move from an, an all male white jury against a, a multiracial female. And this is archetypally a bad move uh, in, in modern times, but you know, you can't help some people. They, you know, they step in things just because that's the way they are. And uh, the, the, the French Nike Open, might have, uh, they sure Nike, stepped Nike, in it. Nike might be listening to you, Jay. They just came out and said, hey, we support, which again, seems like the human thing to do, but they support her and her decision to withdraw from the Open. The wording's always interesting, right? And they don't say, you know, to not speak at the press conference, but they are supporting her reasoning for withdrawing, which is ultimately depression right and so nike's on board and some other sponsors are supposed to be behind her as well meaning um you know maintaining their sponsorship i think it's probably a bigger issue if they were to withdraw their sponsorship right talk about stepping in it um yeah now is guys is there a difference between now i don't watch a lot of tennis okay you guys probably watch more than me when the match is over you get a reporter running up and you do a quick interview and then there's a press conference afterwards there's a difference between one-on-one and then you know 40 on one right or is it the same anxiety for for both some of her comment was basically that she gets the same routine questions if they did their homework they wouldn't be asking it uh, quite often it's like picking at the scab of the game. Um, it, it's not. Uh, it's not a friendly, uh, supportive environment. And um, uh, she does have some reporters that have followed her for a long time. She's she's friendly with them and open, and she's done uh, uh, interviews one on one without you know, kind of being too uh, protective of her opinions or something. She was open in the interviews, so. There's ways to do it, and I, I think that the French Open needs to uh, take into account the, uh, their athletes, not just their organization. I'm looking at Dr. Koziel's article. He, he passed it around uh, when we were in class. He, he's our, me and uh, Skip, we uh, went to the same school and have the same mentor, uh, Dr. Uh, Len Koziel, and he's got an article here, Adaption, Expertise, and Giftedness. And he went into a big discussion of subcortical structures, um, basal ganglia reward centers, you know, how that relates to giftedness, how people learn their gift or how, you know, they're, they're supplied in life with better white matter tracks and they're able to integrate sensory information quicker. Their cerebellum is able to predict what they're supposed to do better. Now, I'm not talking about this tennis player, to be honest, I kind of haven't been following her. So, you know, this may not at all apply to her, but it's a compelling concept that uh, Len brought up that those people who are gifted 
just have a better way um, just naturally of adapting and a better way of developing automaticity. So if we're talking about tennis players, they can automatically guess where the ball's going and automatically turn their hand to the right position and hit the ball without thinking about it. And of course they practice and that's part of the, you know, their uh, talent in part of, you know, the outcome of, of their play. But uh, so Len was talking about, um, you know, just that they're naturally endowed with, with such, you know, abilities to be automatic, but he also kind of took it a step further. And he talked about, um, you know, definitely the cerebellum being involved in this predictive nature. Uh, but then he kind of went into talking about savants, you know, people who can just automatically, you know, hear one song and play, you know, hear a Mozart uh, uh, composed uh work and then just automatically, you know, re recite it. So that's definitely, you know, above and beyond regular abilities. But then he said that savants are more likely to be autistic. And I'm going to kind of thread it all back to the tennis question. But when he started talking about savants, he, he kind of mentioned this piece that um, there, there's some social deficits. And when someone um, learns a new procedure or develops a procedure like tennis or piano, um, they may be prone to having poor social skills. And the, the point, I think, is that if these individuals are uncomfortable in social situations because they're not routine, because, you know, once someone masters their game or their instrument, it's a routine thing. They don't have to think about it. So doing other things, especially social interactions, which, which are novel, doing social things become more difficult. And so, you know, this may or not, you know, may not be the, the tennis player that we're talking about, but it's kind of this compelling argument that if you are gifted, you, you kind of get used to doing one thing, one automatic thing. And if you're thrown a curveball that you can't predict, and, and maybe what Jay just said, yeah, this, this lady, can, this tennis player can predict what, what the uh, interviewers are going to ask. But it also kind of strikes me of, of this kind of thing that, you know, if she knows that they're going to ask the same question, they're going to ask about depression, you know, what is going on that she can't I'll say it this way, fake it. Like, okay, she knows the question's coming. Why can't she inhibit that emotional response? So, the, so I guess that's the definition of depression and anxiety. But uh, so it's kind of talking round and round. But, but the point is, you know, kind of wondering, you know, where the sh social skills are um, in the population of gifted and can they handle novel situations when they're so used to doing routines? So I, I don't know if Skip wants to add in there because we went to the you know, I had the same mentor, but it's kind of this kind of compelling question. Yeah. Social anxiety quite often ends up having not only frontal mood regulation problems, but also the right posterior temporal area where you perceive social context, facial expressions, body language, the emotional tone of speech, all of that ends up being also an area that's involved in social anxiety. So her ability to actually perceive her social environment and also her impact on her social environment uh, ends up being impaired. And it, if you had somebody who was blind, you wouldn't expect them to see. But this is somebody who's socially blinded, and we end up expecting her to perform. And 
you know, it, 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 it's an odd circumstance when a tennis player who sees spatial relationships extremely well, almost the same exact location, almost the same exact location in the brain is involved. But she's developed her spatial skills, but uh, apparently has some uh, social perceptual uh, issues and mood regulation issues. And I, I, I've seen this kind of a pattern uh, very, very commonly in uh, elite athletes. The, um, uh, they, the, an Asperger's trait uh, also ends up with the same facial expression difficulty. So there may be something to the savant uh, blindness uh, uh, in that area. We're talking T, T6-ish, Jay? Uh, T6 is the old 1020 system. 1020, yeah, 1020 folks. P, P, P8 is the 1010 uh, system. The, uh, it's actually on the parietal side of the temporoparietal junction. So the old 1020 system should have been honest. Uh, the, the T was supposed to represent the lobe that it was on, but it's actually in the parietal area. So, eh, you know, they, they finally corrected it since they, the original development in 1948-49, 70 years ago or so. Um, And, you know, they they corrected that about a decade or so ago. You listened way better in in, uh, our our courses with with Len, for sure. So that's my comment, Laura. Like, you retained more, and you probably listened better. So that's all I have to say. There we go. I have the quicker trigger finger. I can uh, pull up his articles and skim them on on the fly. Uh, you're giving away your secrets. Exactly. And I just had a comment and it's, again, it's kind of a, a global thing, but it, it does speak to what you're talking about with, you know, this savant kind of notion of, hey, you know, being, you know, world-class in something. And that doesn't mean you're world-class in other things like, you know, we're talking about social interaction, but, you know, th- that's been a, I'll say complaint of athletes for ages is that, hey, like you're paying me to play ball. Um, not talk to people. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, it's just not the way it is anymore with everything that's attached to sports and marketing and selling things. And, you know, here Nike is, you know, definitely doing a CYA thing because um, they want to sell shoes and apparel. And maybe there are people there that are, you know, concerned for this person's mental health. I'm sure there is, but there's just more to it these days. And so, yeah, you can't just play tennis and then, uh, go zip up your racket in your bag and go home there's obligations that are required good for this lady yeah. for saying hey here's my line i can't cross it so i'm out good for her um, there, right? there are people telling athletes that they should just shut up and play the game <laughs> there's and, that too and, and, and that's uh, you know I, people are uh, complete people they're not uh, they're not one little tiny aspect of themselves and you have right. to expect them to uh, end up being themselves uh, authentically. Right. And uh, uh, so if, if somebody speaks out on a political issue or uh, supports uh, uh, gay rights in some fashion or something, I mean, that that's their perfect right. And if it upsets somebody, it's their right to be upset, but they don't have control over the other person. And, and athletes are, are complete people. They have opinions on a full spectrum of issues on all sides of issues. Uh, we, we have to, uh, we have to accept them as complete people, not, uh, not tell them to shut up and just play the game. 
if, sure. if their opinions upset us, I mean, we can deal with our upset. Uh, they're, they're the elite athlete. We're sitting in the stands on our butt eating a hot dog, you know, so. You know, Jay, I, I remember what I wanted to say here. Um, I liked what you said because I say it frequently myself that if you have a strength in the right hemisphere, especially parietal, of course, that you're good at determining uh, spatial relationships and that often corresponds or correlates with uh, people who have good social skills. If you could take a physical perspective on something, then you're likely to have good empathy and be able to take a, a social perspective uh, of someone else's. So I, I, I say that quite a bit, but I guess what popped in my head here with this tennis player is when we're talking about spatial relationships, um, and I'm just uh, kind of talking off, off the uh, cuff here, but um, spatial relationships are absolute, uh, you know, especially if you have an automatic uh, tennis swing and, you know, 90 degree angle is always going to be a 90 degree angle. So those are, I'm going to kind of say predictable. Um, and yeah, you're, you're always going to be running in a different court and, you know, at a different speed. And, but I, I imagine that's where these gifted uh, athletes can adjust and adapt. And that's what Len Cozio was talking about. But when we kind of get into social relationships and taking perspective socially, those things are going to be less predictable, even if you know what, I mean, that's, that's the compelling thing here is even when you know what the question is, like, if, if there's something that you cannot predict and something that's um, out of bounds, and that is going to cause more anxiety because because you, you never do know what the other person's going to say, even if you have the script, because someone's going to go off script. And those are the things that, that cause anxiety. I've actually worked with uh, an elite uh, tennis player um, who had uh, difficulty with the right posterior temporal parietal junction. Uh, and uh, I, in reading the EEG, I suggested that they'd have difficulty with spatial and uh, affective perception. And the, the sports psychologist who referred it to me, who's really quite famous, said, well, how can that be? This is, this is a, a tennis player. If he can't, you know, if, if they weren't good at spatial relationships, how, how could they be this good? And I said, well, you know, I don't know. Talk to the coach. Chatting with the coach, the guy can't read the spin on the ball, which is spatial, and he doesn't pay attention to the body language of the other player. So, you know, there there were right posterior temporal deficits, and uh, he he jumped up quite a few hundred points on the Davis Cup uh, after getting that area reactivated, so that he actually had a a, a functional or more functional uh, spatial perception. And, and um, facial recognition is very specific. I mean, either, and that's a different type of memory, so to speak, or recognition system um, than anything else, uh, your, your memory and your recognition of faces. And that's different than your memory and recognition of the layout of a tennis court or whatever. Yeah, but they're both spatial. They're, you know, they're, uh, it has to do with what areas are networked up with the spatial perceptual area. So uh, if, you know, they're obviously good at some spatial tasks, but not necessarily all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, facial expressions and body language are important. Um, you know, your mother probably could give you the look and uh, it would just freeze you in your tracks, you know. But there are people who don't perceive facial expressions and body language, the Asperger's trait in an, in an autistic, for instance. And um, the, the mother can't just give them a glance because that doesn't work. Uh, they don't 
They don't perceive that. It's like expecting somebody who's blind to respond to hand signals, you know? So parents usually have to escalate up to some uh, actually overt telling them in words what's what's going on as, as opposed to expecting them to perceive something spatially. Right. And then, and then socially, like what kind of, and again, I don't know this particular tennis player, but what kind of uh, uh, environmental development socially could she have? I mean, I know, you know, there's certainly a lot of uh, athletes who, you know, they kind of live in a bubble and, you know, if you think of Olympic athletes or whatever, you know, they're, they're housed in structured environments and, you know, what is the social development like uh, with, with these individuals? And that can suffer. Uh, uh, you know, it, the number of hours you spend training, uh, if you're in an athlete life early on, uh, they, these people didn't take up tennis when they were 16. You know, they've been playing since they were very, very young. So, the, you know, the, the time that you would normally have spent on the playground with friends and buddies, uh, you're across a net at a great distance from a coach or a, another player. So it, um, again, it, it's not a team sport. So uh, the, it, it's very isolating. It, it, you know, I was a swimmer. Uh, talk about an isolating sport. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, it's you and the, and the water. And once in a while, you can kind of see somebody in the lane next to you. But um, it, 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 it's not, you have a swim team, but it's not really a team sport. It's an individual sport. And so all your rewards are based on winning, right? I mean. Yeah, I, I always just love to swim. <laughs> so. so you have a team sport. You're getting paid for it and it no longer becomes enjoyment, right? Yeah. I, I, I quit my second year at the university. I figured I was actually at the uh, school for medical school, not for swimming. And uh, swimming was taking up a lot of time, a couple workouts a day. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was it just ate into the time I should have been in the labs and stuff. So Laura, are, are you, are you saying, you know, the, the focus on winning in regards to this person that we're referring to, right? Naomi Osaka, that when she beat her idol, you know, or mentor or, or, you know, are, are you, are you tying it back to that? Cause that's, that's kind of where I've been stuck or at least, uh, you know, rumbling about in my head, like what's, so here's this winning. She, she achieved it. She beat, she knocked off her idol. Um, and we're also talking about possibly depression as opposed to maybe, you know, a, a social skills deficit. Maybe it's both. Mm -hmm. are, are you saying there's something in there with that or, or are you suggesting that, or are we just referring to something else? Well, you know, certainly that, that can uh, be involved. That's not exactly what I was thinking. I was just kind of trying to uh, thread back to Len Koziel and the, okay. the gifted and the, the uh, predictive, you know, the involvement of the cerebellum and, and how that affects people socially. Um, but certainly, yeah, there's, you know, that cerebellum and posterior kinds of things, but certainly yeah, you start talking about the, the, the gating system in the frontal lobe and, and making choices and being able to, um, uh, you know, uh, work with your own mood system. I mean, it right. seems like it's kind of a multi-tiered kind of issue. For sure. And there's other factors, obviously, we know, nobody that I know of, of on this podcast ever has even met this woman or talked to her. Mm -hmm. But right, we're again, I'm just to maybe clarify a little bit what I'm thinking is, hey, you have this goal that you're going for, right, a victory, and in particular victory to beat this opponent on the other side of the net, but it involves your idol. 
And then once that's knocked off, um, I, it, she just appeared crestfallen, right? She's apologizing as she's accepting the trophy, you know, like, Hey, I'm sorry, this happened. It, it, and that was in 2018. That's what you were referring to Jay. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's pretty profound. You know, you don't see that often if ever, you know, no, people aren't usually apologizing. They're usually elated. Maybe later they can yeah. realize, Although, hey, wow, I've reached the yeah. mountaintop. Now what? If you, if you watch UFC, uh, MMA uh, fights, the person who wins quite often cries. Uh, it, it's not unusual at all. Yeah. In fact, you can almost predict you're going to see it if you watch a, a you know four or five uh, different competitions. You can see one or two of them break down after they win. Yeah, you know, so it, it's it's not that un, uncommon to end up having that. You know, an elite athlete has overlearned physical moves. The frontal lobe has basically created fixed action patterns that you can execute, so you don't have to have the reaction time of thinking about your uh, tennis swing. In fact, if you engage the frontal lobes, you actually screw up your golf swing or your tennis swing or your running stride. Try to think in terms of what are my feet doing when you're taking a jog sometime? You'd be lucky if you stay upright. You know, think about what you're doing in golf and, you know, you've got to slice, you know, create a big smile on that ball, you know? So, um, but, you know, the frontal lobes get in the way of your sport, but your frontal lobes regulate your affect. So it, it may be an area that's underdeveloped in some respects. The motor regulatory fixed action patterns are perhaps overdeveloped. Again, a, a special skill. Other uh, frontal functions may suffer, uh, you know, but... Um, uh, elite athletes aren't normal, normal. Uh, they have their own uh, profile and um, uh, they, they don't want to lose their drive or special skill. Uh, so you can't just treat them like they're normal and try to normalize their brain function to the average of the statistics in a QEG. Elite athletes have beta spindles there for a reason. So do a lot of business executives. If you get rid of that, they're, they've lost their drive. And, they, you know, they'll, they'll get compensated for their business executive golden parachute later. Uh, and they can have whatever is wrong with them dealt with the, at that point with their golden parachute. They don't want to lose their drive. Elite athletes end up being uh, uh, outliers. Uh, Gerard Finnemore in South Africa studies uh, elite athletes as a kind of one of his specialties. And he's written a few articles on people that row uh, across the Atlantic or, um, you know, uh, do ultra marathon, uh, uh, you know, run straight for multiple days and stuff. So, the, you know, the, the, those aren't normal people. <laughs> and uh, uh, if they were, they wouldn't be doing that. We, we basically found quite a few of them have an OCD-like trait uh, you know, you're, you're obsessed with rowing across the damn ocean, you know, and unless you're obsessed about it, you're going to go about halfway and say, yeah, <laughs> this, uh, is there something else going on today? You know, uh, can, can I do something else? Uh, but uh, elite athletes have unique outlier skill sets that aren't normal. That's why they're outliers. If, if their profiles were normal, they'd be common. 
you know, and uh, we have to get away from uh, thinking of normal statistics as representing their uh, their norm. Uh, they they have their own set of norms, yeah, which which is why the Australian Institute for Sports started to look at them as a well. We better start to actually. Uh, you know, test them. Uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee as well. Uh, uh, um, yeah, we, we, we've got uh, professionals that uh, work with neurofeedback um, and also EEG, QEG assessments uh, across sports. So uh, it, it's happening here in the U.S., not just Australia. Mm-hmm. I think that gets back, maybe skipped uh, to how it's kind of trying to weave things together in terms of the reward systems. You know, if, if there is kind of this all or nothing OCD type of uh, personality structure and, you know, you start talking about performance anxiety and, you know, what does it mean to win? What does it mean to win to this person? What does it mean to lose to this person? And again, if they're kind of grown, uh, growing up in a bubble and those are their definitions or their identities is, you know, win, lose, what does it mean? And all or nothing. I'm, I'm somebody if I win. I'm nothing if I don't win. I'm nothing if I win to this person. Um, so maybe that's kind of where, you know, uh, if there's an OCD type of uh, structure developed. Um, and yeah, you have to, re- I mean, that's the thing with learning, you have to repeat, repeat, repeat. So on one hand, uh, I always talk about that, you know, being obsessive can be a strength and a weakness. If you have a lot of ideas running around in your mind, that's great you know, especially if you're Stephen King, but if, if you're not, or you're not, uh, you know, putting those ideas somewhere or able to compartmentalize them, then, be, then they become a burden, they become anxiety. Um, and so, you know, we're just kind of speculating about this uh, te- uh, tennis player, but, but yeah, they have to have certain qualities to, to get them to where they're at. And, you know, certainly b- being a little OCD isn't always a bad thing, except when you start, you know, you know, she's a developing young, young person. And, you know, the, the, the social development, the self-identity, the, the female identity and, you know, getting through society now. Um, the, the, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of hurdles. Sure. And, and, and cultural too. And I know you meant that, um, mm-hmm. but just to acknowledge that one sure. too, sure. right. There are different ways of looking at how life works and that's, that's what makes up different cultures. So mm-hmm. I think that piece is in there as well, or, or it would need be. And, and this is speculative and it's doing what we're, warned not to do day one which is armchair psychology you know and and diagnosing somebody from uh from afar and all that good stuff and hopefully everybody knows how we feel about diagnosing in the dsm anyway at this point of the show but yeah i'm just again kind of fixated on this idea of this person being crestfallen and i understand people are emotional after victories jay it just seems it's so so profound that you know she had this turning point of defeating her idol and it it seems to have a lasting residual effect on on how she approaches what she does that's just you know that that's my ocd sticking on that you know it just seems like a giant uh you know anomaly i can say with dealing with salespeople, they have a perceived value of what they're worth and they'll only work to the the amount of effort that they'll make the money that they think they deserve you know, could it be that she doesn't feel like she deserves to beat that person? That's a whole another issue. That's kind of where I was going with the peak performance. It's if she has a psychologist or a coach or something, it, it doesn't seem like there was a next level built into the plan. You know, that's it. Plus, it's an individual sport versus a, a team sport. I mean, golf, tennis, I mean, a two foot putt for 
$5 million. I mean, what can mess with your head more, you know, than that versus playing ball on the field? You know, you got, you know, 10 other people on a football field that shooting for, for the same goal. So yeah, we needed to talk to an athlete instead of a, uh, a neuro person. You know, that's right. We depression and agitated depression and anxiety can all be treated as well. And uh, the approaches can include medication, um, but medication quite commonly have side effects, sometimes quite negative side effect, um, and uh, aren't always uh, things uh, that, that a, an elite athlete is going to tolerate. Um, if you dull their senses in some fashion, that's not going to fly with their game. Non-pharmacological intervention may end up being something that's of interest to them. Uh, obviously, there's neurofeedback. If you have boohoo sad depression, likely left frontal subdominance, it could be alpha left, could be beta right. We have to look before we know, but there's a balance problem. Uh, and that's, that's going to present as a boohoo sad mood problem that's called depression. If it's alpha to the right or beta to the left, you're going to have an agitated depression or anxiety. Now, that it's also called depression. Uh, and if it's at the midline, uh, you can have an amotivational lack of initiation, which is also called depression. So our DSM clustering is a cluster something, but it's sure not functional. Um, <laughs> And I, uh, I, I would uh, uh, dearly love to see people get away from the categorization, which have pejoratives and say, oh, there's a left frontal alpha target or a right frontal beta target. There's nothing pejorative about having a frequency in a spot, you know, so it gets away from the perceptual bias of there's something wrong. Um, it, it's it's a, a functional pattern. You can change the pattern. So neurofeedback can end up altering those distributions, but you have to identify them first. And if you don't look at the EEG and quantitative EEG helps to see that EEG uh, for some people. I mean, some people look at wiggly lines and see what's in them. Other people have to kind of have the wiggly lines transferred into, into colored maps that show them where things are. Uh, uh, there, there's a sport of EEG interpretation as well and uh, learned how to look at the wiggly lines. You can kind of predict what the maps are going to look like. It, it's important to end up assessing what's there and then you can have a direct method of intervention. You can train the brain. The brain is behavior. Brain activity is behavior. And you can shape behavior. Uh, feedback allows systems to self-regulate and change state. You know, biofeedback is a systems theory uh, level regulation, but it's also an operant uh, level regulation. So you can train the brain to behave differently. So we can change the function frontally. If you had excess alpha on the left, we can suppress that make a, a better balance. You have more beta on the right. We can suppress that, make a better balance. It's entirely possible to tune up the brain uh, for somebody who's got depression, agitated depression, amotivation. I mean, the, however it's presenting with the frontal lobe not working properly, that can be improved with operant and systems theory interventions with biofeedback, neurofeedback. There are other approaches as well. There's a DC stim, uh, AC stim, uh, TMS. Uh, TMS is approved for de depression. 
you know, again, it helps to actually know what you're pointing that big magnet at. Um, uh, if you're pointing at the wrong spot, you can uh, do the wrong thing. So it's, it's good to actually look before you leap. My grandmother was right. Don't dive into the water unless you know what's under the surface. And it's more than just the lake, you know. Anyway, I, I do think that the uh, sports uh, regulatory systems that are out there, the, the uh, AAUs of the world and uh, NCAAs of the world, need to orient more towards the athlete and a little bit less towards their organizational structure. Uh, if you're threatened as an organization by somebody not being able for their own mental health to sit for a news conference, um, if you can't tolerate that level of uh, somebody caring for themselves um, with an authentic supportive response, you've got to look at yourself. And I think the French Open needs to pull up a big mirror and look in it deeply because there's something seriously wrong with what they've been doing and they need to make some changes. How do you make changes? Feedback. Bring that mirror up, take a deep look because you know there's something that you need to change. Right on. Well said, Jack. Drop the mic, walk off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. For sure. Just real quick for the newbies out there, peak performance, that's neuro, not neurofeedback, that's biofeedback, right? With the uh, sounds peak, or is it both? Uh, it's both. It, it, and there's some wonderful people out there in peak performance. Uh, uh, Lindsay Shaw, uh, who works with the U.S. Olympic Committee, um, it would be a good person to bring on. Um, uh, uh, she does neurofeedback with elite athletes at the U.S. Olympic Committee training camps. Um, at, uh, she's an old friend. I'd be happy to uh, try and invite her on. If you want to chat about elite athletes, we should bring on some people that deal with elite athletes. If you want a totally raucous hour, uh, we can invite uh, Sue Wilson, Vieta uh, uh, Sue Wilson, uh, who's worked with Olympic athletes. She's, in, she's my age, uh, and we're old friends. She grew up in Montana. I grew up in North Dakota. North Dakota and Montana have joke books about each other. So we're, uh, she's Sister Sue, I'm Brother Jay, and we rib each other the whole time. You know, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sounds like fun. But she's, uh, she's worked with uh, um, elite, elite athletes and was responsible in some respect for the sweep of Canada getting all the gold medals in the recent Winter Olympics. Um, they, they had a specific project for that. And I also can invite on some actual elite athletes, up and coming uh, NCAA stars, uh, uh, Isabella, uh, who uh, is open about her circumstance. Um, uh, she had intractable epilepsy, uh, having 200 seizures a day, um, and it was non-functional totally, um, and put herself back together. She's, she's now a division one uh, tennis player here at uh, uh, in the U.S. Um, uh, her neurologist wanted her to have brain surgery to remove part of a temporal lobe. Um, and a, 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 she's overcome her seizures. She doesn't have seizures anymore. She doesn't have medications for seizures anymore. And her EEG is generally clear now. And, uh, it wasn't before. 
So she's done over 500 neurofeedback sessions, uh, but her purpose for neurofeedback has switched from stopping seizures to peak performance. So she's still doing training. Yeah. Well, those are two emails I'm going to make right after this show. And I already reached out to uh, Naomi Osaka's people, IMG. If you're listening out there, guys, uh, trying to get Naomi to come on the show, the anxiety would be for that, but uh, see see if she'll do it. We thank you for listening to NeuroNoodles, Neurofeedback, and Neuropsychology Podcasts. Dr. Laura can be found at jansons.com. Dr. Skip can be found at drskiprin.com. And Jay Gunkelman, he can be found on Google anywhere, but QEGsupport.com. We can give you a little shout out there, Jay. What do you think? Uh, the QEGsupport.com is a site that hosts a lot of my material. I don't own it or operate it. That's all right. It's, yeah. Your stuff is there. And, you know, yeah. people, people are asking about you. And I'm trying to, you know, give you some more credit than just Google. Uh, idea for a topic, please email Pete at neuronoodle.com. Uh, all the links will be in the podcast notes below. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Please cue the copyrighted music. <laughs> <laughs>